Welcome to this episode of Mentors at Your Benchside, a bitesizebio.com podcast bringing you advice, tips and tools for getting the most out of your research. I'm Nick Oswald and today I'll be talking about how DNA extraction kits work in the lab. We give a lot of troubleshooting help on RNA and DNA extraction here at Bitesize Bio because almost everything we do in molecular biology requires DNA or RNA extraction at the very first step, whether it's qPCR, molecular cloning, next generation sequencing, or something else. These days, most labs use commercial DNA extraction kits that use silica spin filter methods to get high quality DNA. These allow rapid and efficient purification of DNA, or RNA, but the downside is that if you don't understand what is in the black box of the kit, it makes troubleshooting much more difficult. Sound familiar to you? Let's fix that then so you understand this thing inside and out. I'll also go over some common problems specific to using silica columns in DNA and RNA extraction that can be overcome or avoided with just a little extra understanding. The first step in RNA and DNA extraction is lysis. Lysis formulas may vary based on whether you want to extract DNA or RNA, but the common denominator is a lysis buffer containing a high concentration of kaotrophic salt. Kaotrophs destabilize hydrogen bonds, van der Waals forces, and hydrophobic interactions. Proteins are destabilized, including nucleases, and the association of nucleic acids with water is disrupted, setting up the conditions for transfer to silica. Kaotrophic salts include guanidine hydrochloride, guanidine thiocyanate, urea, and lithium perchlorate. Besides the kaotrophs, there are usually some detergents in the lysis buffer to help with protein solubilization and lysis. And there can also be enzymes used for lysis depending on the sample type. Proteinase K is one of these. It actually works very well in these denaturing buffers. The more denatures protein, the better proteinase K works. Lysozyme, however, does not work in the denaturing, and so lysozyme treatment is usually done before adding the denaturing salts if lysozyme is needed in the lysis. Now, one comment about isolating plasmid DNA. The lysis is very different than extraction for RNA or genomic DNA extraction because the plasmid has to be separated from the genomic DNA first. If you throw in kaotrophs, you'll release everything at once, and you won't be able to differentially separate the small circular DNA from the high molecular weight chromosome. So in plasmid preps, the kaotrophs are not added until after lysis and all the salts are then used for binding. For excellent in-depth articles on alkaline lysis and the difference between genomic DNA and plasmid DNA extraction, check out the episode description for links or Google bite-sized bioalkaline lysis or bite-sized bio difference between genomic DNA and plasmid DNA to find those articles. After the DNA extraction, next comes the purification. And the first step of that is binding the DNA to the column. So the kaotrophic salts are critical for lysis, but also for binding the DNA or RNA to the column. Additionally, to enhance and influence the binding of nucleic acids to silica, alcohol is also added. Most of the time this is ethanol, but sometimes it may be isopropanol. The percent ethanol and the volume have big effects. Too much ethanol and you'll bring a lot of degraded nucleic acids in small species that will influence the A260 readings and throw off some of your yields. 
too little, and it may become difficult to wash away all of the salt from the membrane. The important point here is that the ethanol influences binding, and the amount added is optimized for whatever kit you're using. Modifying that step can help change what you recover. So if you're having problems with RNA or DNA recovery and want to troubleshoot it, that can be a step to evaluate further. Another way to diagnose problems is to save the flow through after binding and precipitate it to see if you can find the nucleic acids you are searching for. If you use an SDS-containing detergent and lysis, try using sodium chloride as a precipitant to avoid contamination of the DNA or RNA with detergent. Next, it's washing the DNA or RNA. So your lysate was centrifuged through the silica membrane and now your extracted DNA or RNA should be bound to the column and the impurities, cellular proteins and polysaccharides should have passed through. But the membrane is still dirty with residual cellular proteins and salt. If the sample was from plants, there will still be polysaccharides, maybe some pigments left on the membrane. Or if the sample was blood, the membrane might be tinted brown or yellow. The wash step serves to remove these impurities. There are typically two washes, although this can vary depending on the sample type. The first wash will often have a low amount of chaotrophic salt to remove the protein and colored contaminants. This is always followed by an ethanol wash to remove the salts. If the prep is something that didn't have a lot of protein to start with, such as a plasma prep or a PCR cleanup, then only an ethanol wash is really needed. Removal of the chaotrophic salts is crucial to getting high yields and high purity and high quality DNA or RNA. Some kits will even wash the column with ethanol twice to remove these. If salt remains behind, the elution of nucleic acid is going to be poor and the A230 reading will be high, resulting in low 260 to 230 ratios. And for ethanol-free DNA and RNA, you next need a dry spin. After the ethanol wash, most protocols have a centrifugation step to dry the column. This is to remove ethanol and is essential for a clean eluent. When 10 millimolar trispuffer or water is applied to the membrane for elution, the nucleic acids can become dehydrated and will release from the membrane. If the column still has ethanol on it, then the nucleic acids cannot be fully rehydrated. Skipping the drying step results in ethanol contamination and low yields. You cannot see ethanol absorbance on the nanodrop, so it won't show up in your readings. The main indicators of a problem here are when you try and load the sample onto an agarose gel, the DNA will not sink, even in the presence of a loading dye. Another indicator is that if you put the sample into minus 20, it doesn't freeze. Either way, the sample is not going to be much good to you for downstream processes. The final step is elution. The final step in the DNA extraction protocol is the release of pure DNA or RNA from the silica. For DNA preps, 10 millimolar tris at a pH between 8 and 9 is typically used. DNA is more stable at a slightly basic pH and will dissolve faster in a buffer. This is true even for DNA pellets. Water tends to have a low pH, as low as 4 or 5, and high molecular weight DNA may not completely rehydrate in the short time used for elution. Elution of the DNA can be maximized by allowing the buffer to sit in the membrane for a few minutes before centrifugation. RNA, on the other hand, is fine at a slightly acidic pH, so water is the preferred diluent. RNA dissolves very readily in water. Okay, so now I'll go on to the things that can go wrong with RNA and DNA extraction and what you can do about them. So, if low yields are the first problem we'll look at, if you experience DNA or RNA yields that are lower than expected for your sample, there are many factors to think about. 
Usually it is a lysis problem. Incomplete lysis is a major cause of low yields. It could also be caused by incorrect binding conditions. So make sure to use fresh, high-quality ethanol to dilute buffers or for adding the binding step. Low-quality ethanol or old stocks may have taken on water and may not be at the correct concentration. If the wash buffer is not made correctly, you also may run into problems by washing off your extracted DNA or RNA. Next problem is low purity. If the extracted DNA is contaminated with protein, that's a low 260 to 280 ratio, then maybe you started with too much sample and the protein was not completely removed or dissolved. If the DNA has a poor 260 to 230 ratio, the issue is usually salt from the bind or the wash buffer. So again, make sure that you use high quality ethanol to prepare the wash buffers. And if the problem continues, give the column an additional wash. Some samples have a lot more inhibitors contamination compared to others. Environmental samples are used especially prone to purity issues like this because humic substances are solubilized during extraction. Humics behave similarly to DNA and are difficult to remove from the silica column. For this type of sample, specialized techniques exist to remove the protein and humics prior to the column step, and you can go and check the original article for the link to an article explaining those specialized techniques. Another problem that can occur after extraction is degradation. This is more of a concern for RNA preps, and an article that gives specific advice on RNA isolation can be found in the episode description, or you can Google bite-sized bio troubleshooting RNA isolation to find that article. Degradation of extracted DNA occurs from improper storage of the sample, or perhaps from inefficient lysis during the extraction process. But for DNA extraction, degradation is not a huge problem in most cases, because for PCR, etc., the DNA can be sheared and it will still work fine. But if you were hoping to have less shearing with your DNA, you may want to look at the lysis step. Perhaps you left that too long, and reducing the lysis time may help. If you use water to elute, you might want to use a proper buffer to reduce the chances of degradation. A little note on PCR cleanup and special considerations for that. So PCR cleanup obviously isn't a DNA extraction technique per se, but it's a nice and easy technique because it is simply adding a high concentration of binding salts, typically between three to five volumes of salt per volume of the PCR reaction, and centrifugation to the column to clean it up. So when PCR cleanup kits fail, it can be particularly frustrating because there's so little to look at. The first question I ask people is, did you check the results of the PCR in a gel? Because you cannot UV check a PCR reaction and get an accurate DNA quantitation. There's way too much in a PCR reaction absorbing it at 260. Nucleotides, detergents, salts, and primers for that. So running out in a gel is a must. In my experience, a failure of a PCR cleanup kit to work frequently is caused by a PCR reaction that has failed so there was nothing to clean up. But if you know you had a strong PCR product, the best approach is to just save your flow through fraction after binding. If the DNA doesn't bind, that is where it will be. It'll be in the flow through and you can always rescue it and then clean it up again. And call tech support and ask for a replacement kit if this is the issue continues. So now you can go forth and perform your RNA and DNA extractions with confidence. As scientists, of course, we want to know exactly what is going on with our experiments and be able to troubleshoot without having to call technical service first. I hope that this article helps clarify some of the science around the silica spin filter method for DNA and RNA extractions so you can make your own diagnoses and fixes. So when you do have to call technical service, 
you'll have double checked a few of the most likely causes of the problems first, instead of going through a whole rigmarole, you can get a resolution much faster, even if that means a free replacement DNA and RNA extraction kit. Hopefully now you understand more, and hopefully you will also check out the episode description for the links to those related articles and resources and the original article that this podcast is derived from. And don't forget to subscribe to Mentors at Your Benchside in your favourite podcast service to get more help and advice from Bite Size Bio. Are you always on the go, but still seeking valuable insights to advance your research? Well, look no further than Listen In, the podcast from Bite Size Bio that offers the benefits of webinars in a portable format. With webinars featuring leading researchers and commercial specialists discussing techniques like CRISPR-Cas9 and microscopy. With Listen In, you can tap into their expertise and drive your research project forward efficiently and productively, no matter where you are. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Listen In in your podcast app to subscribe.